beautiful. There is a myth that women who are highly educated and of a certain income bracket do not experience human rights violations. Zanella Tabedi Vilakati helps us unpack the emancipation of women from legalized systems and social constructs. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast and I'm your host, Chulu. Every week I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you will join me on this journey of discovery, revelation and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie. It may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Okay, hold up. The Africana Woman podcast turned one years old on 1st September 2021. Oh my goodness, happy birthday to Africana Woman podcast. I can't believe it. Last year, I basically had a month to launch the podcast. I didn't think it was possible. So when I was publishing three episodes on 1st September 2021, I remember feeling so nervous and so worried about whether anyone would listen to it or would anyone like it all sorts of doubts were running through my mind but i went ahead and clicked the publish button i even cried guys <laughs> because i was in awe that i had pulled it off in one month but guess what? <laughs> what I did not realize was that there is so, so much more to publishing a podcast. There is marketing, improving the quality, recruiting guests. Sis, I was so disillusioned about how much work goes into podcasting. But I had already been bitten by the podcasting bug. So ah, this really does not seem like work. Admittedly, I took a break after nine episodes for about three months, I think, because I was broke. You guys go and read the blog, the Africana Woman blog. There's a whole story about it. Um, I had to get myself together, but I came back strong in February 2021 and I haven't stopped since. I am now a part of a phenomenal podcasting community of African women. I spoke at Podcast Movement, which is the biggest podcasting conference, guys. I have heard really inspiring stories and met women I wouldn't have if I was not doing this. I guess what I'm trying to say is... If you feel called to do something, but don't know where it will go eventually, just do it. Just start. You will be pleasantly surprised where it leads you. So back to the scheduled programming. <laughs> If we say we want to be emancipated as women, first we have to be able to call out and name the things that are wrong. We can only fix the things that we can acknowledge exist and name. The problem that many women face is that they're not even conscious when their rights are being infringed. Many would argue that there have been advancements in the feminist movement. I say it's far from enough. 
Zanele so graciously agreed to walk us through the quagmire that is the relationship that women have with human rights. Pay attention to the unconscious bias you may have towards this topic. Zanele Tabedi Vilakati was born and raised in Eswatini. She has experience working in civil society for human rights projects, including HIV prevention and management, and the advancement of women's rights through advocacy and programming. Zanele has a background in law studies with the University of Swaziland, as well as studies in sociology and psychology with the University of South Africa. She is a mother of two daughters and enjoys spending days out in the sun with her family, but nothing too aggressive. She also enjoys spending time with her extended family, her in-laws and mother and sister. Quick side note. When I recorded um, this particular episode, I was using IGTV and that's how I started the podcast actually. Sometimes the quality of the recording was not great and this is one of those conversations. So you may hear some overlap in our voices and I promise guys, we were not being rude and interrupting each other. (laughs) It's just the quality of the recording, okay? So, okay, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Zanele. All right, Zanele. Can you tell me how you, tell me your journey. How did you come to this place where you've got this fantastic job that really focuses on African women's rights? If I just go back in time, um, um, my mother um, raised us as a single mother and she raised my sister and I and an older brother Mm. um, in a house where she, she was basically fending for everything. I think that's where it started from, even though I was not conscious of it until I got to university at the University of Swaziland, where I worked for, um, you know, part time, you know, you need to um, get some money while you're in varsity for, for pocket money. And I was working for a research organization on it. And this entailed us going door to door, collecting data. And most of the time when we went from door to door, we found that it was women Mm -hmm. with babies on their back. We never found men. Rural Swaziland, urban Swaziland, the men were at work. Mm -hmm. And you know, when you, in Swaziland, we basically are very close and polite nation and most of the people would then tell their story and just tell you about how they, most of them were not married in that home, but they had babies. So they were basically forced to be within mm. the compound of the man's home because they, they had given birth to a baby and he was not going to take care of that baby if she was at her home. So I think that's just when I woke up to say, okay, so Mm -hmm. women are not able to make decisions for themselves. They're actually forced by circumstances. They're not able to work and, you know, so. 
So I, I would say that's where the passion started from. I found my passion for research through that um, part-time job, but I also found my passion for women's rights, you know, for the right of women to be free to choose what they want to do with their lives and not be dictated to on how they should act and where they should be at certain times. So yeah, I think that's where it stems from. Okay, so now my first question, I guess, is what are the main areas around women's rights that are um, that are violated, you know? Do you find that women are just not given a sense of agency? They're not able to express themselves and be who they are and actually, actually mm-hmm. explore who they are and figure that out and then express themselves the way they want to express themselves. They're always confined into society's belief on who you are and who you should be within. Um, Because I'll make an example, you're a young girl and you're expected to sit in a certain manner. I don't know how many times my daughter, I have a two-year-old, has been told by people to sit appropriately because she can't stretch her legs. Or any, I'm like, she's two years old, for goodness sake. So from the time they're like young to when they grow up, you you have to do this, don't dress like this, don't. So there's no sense of agency. That's, that's just the the first fundamental rights, you know, freedom. You, uh, a person has the right to express themselves the way they would want to express themselves. Um, so we, with that right being taken away from women, there's all the other rights that fall under it. When to fall pregnant, when to marry. We know that um, some... You know, some practices that are then called customary practices, girls are given as brides to men or to certain senior people of the community to marry off. So, you know, so it stems from that agency, expressing yourself, going down to choices. Um, And then also women are basically told when to give birth, um, who to give birth to because now you've given birth I have two girls mm. oh, there's one more left a boy I'm like I'm done hello mm. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. where's minute. the next one coming <laughs> maybe it will be a boy I'm like well, good luck with that. You know, so there's also that aspect of you're told who to give birth to, uh, the right birth order as if you give birth to a boy child, you know. So it's, it's a whole lot of rights that women find themselves not having. And then also the most important one, the voice around the table. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of things for the longest time in our country, women were expected to kneel when speaking in a crowd while the men stand. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, your voice can only go so much, you know, when you're okay. standing and everyone is sitting down, they can all hear you. The projection is better. But when it's like half voice. So as well, it's like it's it's just gonna get you. Mm-hmm. Know, so it's also just um, 
kind of like points out the importance of women and them having a voice around the table. Most communities mm. have, um, you know, abolished this practice, but some rural communities have not. And you find that sometimes it's women who prefer meal mm. and more respectful, you know, because also you're not um, given that opportunity to explore yourself and who you are and, you know, be able to know how much, you know, how much power and projection you would have if you stood up and talked to the crowd. So it's, it's, it's those kind of rights that we find in Africa uh, being violated. From the decision around the table to being leaders within mm. the community, women are, mm. you know, like um, they're, they're, they're not put in as first choice leaders within our community settings. We have chiefs, and most chiefs are just men. Uh, pretty much all chiefs in my country are men, and mm. there's like it's 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 a no go. It's not going to happen, you know, type of thing. Those kind of uh, violations of their rights that we yeah we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I'm curious though, because I think when people hear about women's rights violations, you know, they, I think the stereotypical view is that it only happens in rural areas. Is this true? Do women in urban not areas true. not That's experience absolutely this? absolutely not true. The workplace is um, a place where women's rights gets violated and in a systematic and orderly and acceptable way. You know, we we have cases coming up now and again mm. of those women who are able to come within our office because we give legal advice and assistance to um, people, also men, um, who, who, who just feel like, you know, this and this happened. So you have those mm. slowly crippling in, but we know that human human rights and women's rights violations are very systematically done within the workplace. For instance, um, remuneration. We know mm. across the board, men get remunerated more than women. We can have the same degree, have the same amount of years work experience, but the men will get, you know, a higher pay because I don't know, I guess it's still the belief that the woman is mm. part of the children in the family and will be taken care of by the man. So, yeah, it's, 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 we, we are seeing it. It's systematic. Mm -hmm. And within urban areas, um, the same rights of not having a voice also apply. Because remember, people who are in urban areas most of the time are not necessarily from the urban areas, but they come for work. They're from the rural areas. But what happens behind closed doors, you might not mm. be able to decipher, but when these women come out and speak about it, you can see that there's a lot of violations happening behind closed doors than mm -hmm. what people would think is happening. Mm. Mm. So I think for a historical context, has um, have women's rights 
always been um, violated or is this something that's been seen um, more recently? You know, what is the historical context? I remember when I, when you asked me to be on your podcast and I was like, what can I talk about? Because a lot of the time, the question I get, especially about the organization I work for, is that, no, historically, the man is the one on top and women know how to act, etc. And do you not think your organization is there to disrupt the social order? You know, and I, I don't think it's true that the, mm. the men are there to dictate and to, you know, um, put their instruction upon women. I think historically, um, men and women did work together in some, in, in, in some way. Unfortunately, uh, like every other person, probably who has come on your podcast, I will, I will also say we then adopted a Western side of doing things, you know. We then were basically indoctrinated that, you know, these female people are lesser than you. You have all the land, you have all the power. But when you look at Swazi tradition, for instance, from what I know of it, I'm not an expert on Swazi tradition, but from what I know of it, even in my rural household, uh, my father's home, there is one central house for the grandmother. So they call it Indriagakoko. That is where it's basically the court of the whole compound. That's where you discuss mm. issues if there's going to be a marriage. But the grandmother, if she's there, has the final say. The aunties of that compound have the final say, you know. So I do not believe that historically women's rights in, um, in Africa were infringed upon. Uh, I do not believe that women's rights, I, I do know that mm. the word rights came about and got defined. So it, it was now apparent that women are getting more power, etc., because it was now magnified and it was now looked at to say, no, the lesser sex cannot get that I know that, but historically, I do not believe. We have a lot of great women that have led the country, um, but one of our downfalls in Africa generally is documentation. Like the documentation of our culture, is, it's quite, it's quite yeah. hard, it's hard to come by. Because even in Swaziland, we just started um, acknowledging one of our region queens we put up a statue. I don't know how many years she's been gone, but yeah, we discovered there's a statue of her in South Africa somewhere that was also just not, it was just there, no one knew about it. And then we just um, decided to have a statue of her just last year and she's been gone for, I think, probably 40 years, 50 years, I'm not sure. But yeah, so it's, it's a, it's, it's a very hard thing to yeah. come by. Documentation of how our culture was in the beginning, of course, everything came from the West, how we could write, how we could read books, how we could um, divide interest and, and magnify rights, etc. I remember just, um, 
Just at the beginning mm. of the month, we were celebrating our independence and someone made a point to say uh, one of the pictures that were depicted on the, on the government websites showed the mm. marginalization. The king, um, Sopuza, at the time was there and he was there, but then there was just such like marginalization. I didn't see it at first glance, but then you could see clearly when you looked and you zoomed in, all of the white people were on one side and in the royal box while he was with the people and on the other side were black people. So yeah, a lot of the way, the systematic way in oh, wow. which um, women were kind of like isolated and a majority of those people in that picture are men. There's a couple of women, probably wives to who, who, but mm. the rest definitely would probably be in the crowd down there or at home. So yeah, the way in which um, it played out, I think mm. across Africa, it was a, a the same tactic, you know, to divide the people and rule over them and basically impose certain um, strategies or certain structures on them that are deemed to be helping them, you know, helping them develop, helping them understand themselves mm. and all of that as if we didn't understand our own <laughs> territory before. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what type of work do you do with women? So if somebody comes to you and says, you know, um, I feel that I'm I'm being, you know, my rights are being infringed upon, uh, what can be done? Because I would feel that, um, you know, if a woman stood up and tried to express her rights, that she might be ostracized, you know, she yeah. might, they might, I feel like there'd be a lot of backlash. As you mentioned, we're an educational, uh, research educational trust. So there's a research component of it in which we do action research and we, we basically implement our research, especially in uh, influencing the amendment or the enactment of laws that will help women in the country. Um, and then we have an extension, the second um, pillar, we have an extension of the office at community level. So we have paralegals that we have trained mm -hmm. that were chosen by the community because, you know, community entry in Swaziland is very important. Like it's very, very important. If um, the community doesn't accept the people you have sent there, then it's, it's basically pointless. So what we try to do is train the paralegals on new okay. laws or laws that we are advocating to be amendments and um, amended and you know like basically the current affairs and especially family law because we found that a lot of the cases that we have have to do with interstate succession with marriages uh, with maintenance of children that those are the highest so we train the paralegals and they are the ones that are able to see um community clients and then refer them to the office. So when they get to the office, 
it is more of a consultation session because unfortunately, as an organization, even though we have qualified attorneys who are admitted in the High Court of uh, Swaziland within the office, we cannot stand in a court of law because of the law. Um, so we, we are able to give them advice on where to go. And if it is a case of interest, currently, we wish we had the funds to just attach a lawyer to every case, but we do not. So if it's a case of interest, we're able to fundraise for the resources to take cases to court. So you talked about how if women come up to say my my rights are ostracized, they get, you know, victimized, etc. That happens a lot because when we do take up strategic cases to litigate on and engage a lawyer, you find that those people, even at community level, and, um, you know, because to some extent, mm. going the legal route in Swaziland is not really the best option. You know, we have our own traditional court system and everything. So people prefer that. In a household, you have that concept of whatever happens in the house doesn't come out, but also within a community. So it's better to kind of discuss things within the Mm. community, get that penalty from the chief, etc. And, you know, so, um, yeah, so going the legal route is now exposing things at national level. So people kind of like frown upon it and these women get really victimized. Like um, we have some cases that have to uh, do with male supremacy when it comes to inheritance of property. And these women are saying our parents are gone, land should be, you know, um, it should be separated or divided amongst the surviving children or surviving beneficiaries of those deceased but yeah they get they get victimized you are totally right they get victimized but what we try to do we we do try to get we don't have a whistleblowers protection act or or any sort of legal framework around uh, people who are trying to get justice but we do have a lot of cooperation from the police to say you know, these people are being victimized or oh, that's good. This, and this is happening and they try to keep a watchful eye and we also tr- try to minimize any publicity around those cases because, yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to do because, you know, a court oh, okay. is a public place, uh, but we, we try our level best. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oof, that's a lot. Um, so, I mean, what? I almost okay. I think the question is twofold. I think there's some people that don't actually recognize that their rights are being infringed. Um, what would you say to somebody? Like, what do you think are key signs and signals to say that, okay, maybe you want to look into whether your, you know, your rights are being okay. infringed? And then I'll ask so, you yeah, the second question. So, yeah, right. it's, it's not easy for people to tell when their rights are being infringed. Um, we have um, a, you know, like a belief that a woman or females 
are made to withstand the tough times. So we call it in society. I'm sure it's the same across Africa. You just you just have to get hit and you get up and you're tough and you're yeah. all like that, you know, type of thing. So people don't recognize that you know yeah. my rights. Mm. It, it's kind of it's kind of like custom, you know, it's it's such a practice, such a norm that you you don't get to have a say in much things. You get the corner seat in family meetings, you know allowed to speak my, your mind, you're told what to do, etc. So I wouldn't be able to recognize that, oh, mm-hmm. actually, I have a voice. Um, I'm supposed to, this is my right. I'm a human being and this is how it, it is infringed upon. But I always say that, you know, your gut feeling when you don't feel right about something, if something just makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, no matter how slightly uncomfortable it is, then there's something wrong about that. If someone is asking you to do something and you're not comfortable about Mm. it, you probably have the right to say no, but because that person is in a senior position or is senior in the home, you have to do that thing. But if you don't feel right about it, then your right is being infringed upon. It's, it's not so easy for people to actually know what their rights are. So that's the other part. That's the third leg of the organization, advocacy and thing, yeah. exposing people to rights. Like right now we have a program on human rights learning groups. So we've developed a manual in which we have just basically mm-hmm. toned down the Universal Declaration of Human Rights um, um, and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights within the Constitution to that level where people will understand. And we have trained the paralegals on that so that they just make people understand these are the fundamental basic rights. So if you don't feel right about something, if that there's just that tad bit of a hunch that this is not right, it's, it's worth consulting someone about to say... Mm. So, so and so asked me to do this or this is what is happening what do you think you know and our offices of course are open and we I know you're all the way in Zambia so we have like a Facebook page and a website where we are able to take uh, questions from people who are not even in the country yeah. oh that's great Mm, that's great. So do you think there is a shift in a positive direction? Um, and, you know, in your context, in your local context, do you think that, um, let's say in the last five, 10 years, that there has been a significant change or even just a little change in the way people are actually treating women, in the way that people are actually um, becoming aware of human rights and, you know, okay, just generally how to treat there women. there is a positive, a positive shift. It's just that it's not, you know, we're, we're too hard on looking at what's going wrong than documenting the positives. So just the other week, I was so happy that the um, Department of Gender and Family Issues um, in under the Deputy Prime Minister's office in Swaziland mm-hmm. was um, having a 
basically an in-house session where they had a couple of people. We had someone from the organization go there documenting what has been done within the last 10 years. So it's the AU's Women's Decade report mm. on what are the achievements you have able to, you've been able to fulfill. Oh. And they actually marked even the most micro achievements because that's where we get positive change. Yes, Swaziland mm. has regressed in decision-making of parliamentarians and voting in women. We, we we were at a high in 2013. Mm-hmm. We regressed in 2018. Our 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 um, just recent elections, but we're not. No, actually, 2013 we had one woman. 2018 we have two, and before that it was more. But you know we we're, we're, we're counting okay. even that one as a mm-hmm. positive because we have. Yeah, it's a win. It's a win. We have more women um, ministers and they're actually doing an exceptional job in putting place laws um, and doing a whole lot of just just today. The minister of education, who was a woman who was voted in to parliament, um, she recalled all pregnant teenagers to school. Because, you know, with the lockdown, they only opened second, certain grades, mm. the grades that write exams, standard five, form three, form five. So she said, even if they're pregnant, they need to be mm-hmm. in class because, you know, it's only, it's, it's the right thing to do. And that was, that's a very great positive thing to do because for the longest time, our government has been silent. There has been legislation around all children have the right to educate, but no one would say anything. It was just like, it's written somewhere, but you know, no one's going to say it. So she came yeah. out, it was frontline news to say, all children, pregnant or not, go back to school. They need an education, Amy, after all. And then um, I know other people were saying, mm-hmm. because these are children who are pregnant, the perpetrators who made them pregnant need to go to jail as well. That's the court that needs to be made. Which is true. It's true. But yeah, it's another thing. Yeah, yeah. Is there a law in your country uh, that states how old a, uh, a person so should be to be considered an one. adult? So right now, like where I am, I'm at a workshop where we're working on simplifying the Sexual Offenses and Domestic Violence Act. So that one is a, is, is a little bit dicey because mm. the Constitution... It's still in the air. Um, a minor is anyone mm-hmm. under the age of 18. The Children's Protection and Welfare Act also mentions anyone okay. under that. But then we have a Marriage Act that puts the age lower. So it's a little bit, but but it's being amended. But until the amendment passes into a law, we still have that struggle. We still, it's 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 quite a huge struggle. But yeah, um, I think it's uh, consent given by the parents. So basically. It's, no. At 16. Oh, at any age. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's oh, okay. It's, yeah, that's yeah, very ambiguous. Of, yeah, the parents can give consent. 
wow. I think it's 16 on their own, but then wow, the parent wow, can wow. and oh, okay, but yeah. But I like what you said about, you know, celebrating even the small wins, because, you know, when you look at the news, you look at the newspapers, what people are posting on um, on social media, we're always focused so much on what's going wrong. And I think it also puts people off and just um, makes people feel that, you know, even if I supported this cause, there's been no progress. Like I've been hearing about this all my life and I'm still hearing about the same, you know, issues. Obviously the issues are going to be there, but I think even in just celebrating those wins and, yeah. you know, whether it's small, yeah, it's, it's big, it's so important. important. And I, I really do like that. I know people who don't you read the national newspaper because it's so negative. That's how much people are just like, you know what, where are the good news? Mm. I'd rather go to social media and look at these happy memes and stuff mm. rather than reading the national. But, but it's also the reality yeah, just of the it. status quo. But from time to time, you need to celebrate even the little achievements in order to gear yourself up to um, attracting more positive change. Because if you're always thinking about the negative, then what are you attracting? More negativity. Mm. And it's going to go cycle, in circles and circles. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the biggest arguments is whether culture and um, women's rights can coexist, which we touched on a little bit earlier. But I, I would love for you to just talk a little bit more about that because some people feel that, okay, you know, it's our culture is just being watered down, watered down. And I mean, can the two exist? How do yeah, they so you know, coexist together? I, like I said yeah. before, I get that a lot. You're here to disrupt our culture. But, you know, I think for me, in terms of a sociological point of view, I'm more on the Max Weber type of, you know, like argument to say, you don't have a society without the individuals. So as much as some other sociologists would say, mm. the society um, exists on its own and it basically dictates its own terms. But the individuals within the society make society. So even with culture, it's not static, it's, it's mm. dynamic. It moves with what the people want, with the times and everything. So I would say that it's not fair to say we're here to disrupt because we have goals. For instance, in, 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 in Swaziland, in Eswatini, the biggest goal now is year 2022. Our developmental goal is not even 2023 like the okay. AU and stuff. It's 2022 and we will have access to this, that, that. But to have access to that, you cannot expect to have people coming from outside to give us services and to provide everything for the Eswatini nation. Mm. We need to start creating leaders, creating engineers in country to build the building mm. that we want to provide service, for instance. We need to start cultivating a mindset that says, I will go for that service, you know, because for the longest time as well, well, doing that research as young as I was, 
the men do not want to do any HIV testing. Even if you are, said you prick them, they will not know that they just didn't want to go to the clinic or anything. So we need to start creating a mindset that says, mm. I will access services. I want services. I will create services. My business will be servicing the people. So that will not unfortunately go with the way we used to live back then. That's back then. It was working for those times. It, it's like when someone quotes the Bible and says, uh, they, they usually, Abo Esther, by those times, those were the Esthers of those times. It worked. It worked for BC, you know, type of thing. Okay. Our culture can coexist with um, rights and modernity. We just need to be able to you know, harness the good and get rid of the bad and move forward. Because no one is saying we do not want traditional leadership. We, we respectfully do. Yeah, but we, we, we want our strides mm-hmm. to also move towards a better life for everyone, not just a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like from what you're saying, and I guess when you think about it more, I, I, the the pushback is losing probably power. because of fear of power. Yeah, it's a fear of <laughs> I don't know what power. do you think we're gonna do to <laughs> yeah losing power. Like what do we do to like this? look at like, us? We don't even have biceps or anything. You know, testosterone is very low. There's nothing we can do. But you know, if we coexist, then we just make a better society. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think, I think we can coexist. I, I, I'm a firm believer of giving everyone an opportunity to speak and hearing them, not just giving them an opportunity to speak because they can mm. just speak, but hearing them, taking the time to hear them and incorporating their suggestions to what needs to be done. And that's it. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think I'm also curious about your own personal experiences because, you know, you're... Um, you are in the forefront of this movement that is working towards women's rights. And you also created um, women working together, you know. Um, But in the society that you live in, what has been your personal experiences? Do you have um, certain times where... Um, So there's a lot of pushback. So women working together, uh, maybe if I can just go back to that, was basically sustained by the... Um, pre-assumption that we would break up before we even started. Uh, so basically certain people were like, oh, this movement of theirs, this, mm. this women working, women don't work together. We give them six months. <laughs> we give them six months and then... <laughs> It will be over, but we've kept strong, like pushing and pushing and gathering women to be part of, uh, you know, being more self-aware, being more conscious and playing a meaning, meaningful leadership role without wanting to act like a man because we're not men, we're women, but we are leaders mm. and we can't be women leaders, you know. So in, in, in some aspects, we've heard women who will say that when I get to work, 
being the CEO, I have to wear a jacket and feel like I am a man. And then I can, <laughs> you know, type of thing, but you and wear a hat. <laughs> and wear yeah. a pants. And yeah, and and, and, and have yeah. that, yes. yeah, that sounds like a man. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, my experience has been, there has been a lot of pushback. Um, you get that even in the family se- setting to think, ah, oh, she thinks she's powerful and whatever. But, you know, I know, I know my strengths. I, um, I was very, very um, fortunate to be part of the Mandela Washington Fellowship. And the Clifton Strength Finders really helped me. And now I'm being coached by one of the fellows who became a coach, a strength finders coach. And it's it's using your strengths in every situation because you don't always have to be out there. You need to know what are your strengths. And sometimes you use one strength more than another strength, um, depending on the situation. Yeah. So, yeah, I have had a... Mm. Yeah, it sounds like... Working smart instead of working hard, because I think we're very accustomed to, oh, I'm going to work hard and just push, push, push and always want to be fighting against the system. But if you're smart and you'd be like, okay, I can go and influence this person. And then that's an influencer in the community. So yeah, then so, they can so be one of my strengths particular, is yeah, strategic. I can see that. And I think maybe I've gotten to where I am because a lot of people just think, mm-hmm. ah, she's just that, you know, like put her away, you know, but you... Don't, you, you can't be out there all the time. You can work your influence around the people who can influence. <laughs> so work smart instead of too hard. Otherwise, you'll be fatigued. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. So what would your advice be for, one, men about African women's rights, and then two, for um, I think women in urban areas, and then also women okay. in so rural maybe starting with the women in urban areas. Um, I know that a lot of the times mm-hmm. there is um, misinformation that women in urban areas know their rights and they have it all together and they get more information. Mm. We have seen that this is not so because we are also privileged to doing some legal talks or legal education for companies. And yeah, and you can see some of the women will do not know, oh, I can do that, do I really? You know, so I would advise women in urban areas to actually, bother themselves with finding out more and also getting out of their comfort zone because sometimes it's about just surviving and Mm -hmm. I'll survive, I'll be okay. But getting out of your comfort zone of that survival and getting to know more and pushing and pushing, you know, breaking the glass ceiling is not about just you're like Supergirl. No, it's it, it, sometimes for some people, mm. it's picking and picking and picking and informing yourself more about your rights and getting advice. And we're open, like I said. So where do you, yeah, I was going to ask, where, where would you say is probably um, some good places for women to look for resources? Because I feel like some people get overwhelmed. They're just thinking, yeah. where am I supposed to start? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> they just, they, they're not really, um, 
they're already being unsure about where to start from is already going to stop them from actually taking that first step. So what are good resources and good places for people to start saying, okay, let me start reading or uh, maybe I can listen to this so or maybe I, I can talk when to this person. to the resources, it depends on what people prefer because some people prefer live um talks like your talk you know this is a very informative platform i've watched a couple of the talks you've had i can't tune in live most of the time because i'm cooking at this time or spending time with the kids or whatever but i do go back and i watch the videos so that's very informative and i know um i think it was last week nogwanda was sharing some books to read by African women. It's it's very yeah. like personally right now I am rereading Yakasi's um it's it's a fictional novel, but I really liked it and it's gory, but I like it homecoming. And it's it's very informative. Yeah. As much as it's fiction, there's some truth to it, okay. you know. So listening in, also looking at the UN mm-hmm. website. They have things simplified, like very, very simple, know your rights kind of simplified materials. So I would advise people to also look at those resources and also reading Mm -hmm. novels like um, we have just said. But then you've got your website as well. So if they just went and did a bit of Google to go on and... But I also want to encourage women, though, a lot of times as individuals, we don't we want to seem like we know so much. Like you were saying that, oh, the assumption is that everyone knows so much. But even as individuals, we don't want to be seen like, oh, I don't know what this is or I don't know, you know, um, information. But I think at some point we uh, we as women have to put down our pride and really just go and um, the information that we need, you know, whether it's, in, and for me, it's really a choice of your standard of living. If you can improve yeah. your standard of living, why not go ahead and find that information? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because, you know, when it comes to your standard of, li- of living, you're actually able to live even a longer and ha- happier life when you know your rights and you're able to access them and you seek mm. for justice where justice is needed. Uh, sometimes cases drag for a long, long time, but at least not putting yourself in the situation in the first place because mm. of being aware of the certain situations. For, mm. Mm, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, of examples that I can make, but yeah, knowing your rights and you know, and knowing what the boundaries um, a person you can set for people to acknowledge and be able to, you know, um, honor or respect those rights is very, very important. I can't stress that. Um, even in the rural setting, you know, it's the same advice that I would give women. It's no, dig further, no more get like be curious and always also request to be part because women especially in our setting in Swaziland are already in the fourth of even economic growth of whatever small businesses in the country but still the voice is lacking so 
being curious, being part of the crowd instead of saying, ah, no, this is not for, it's for, you know, be there. Be the woman that wants to be curious. Be the woman that wants to ask. If you do not know, ask. There's nothing mm. more. You, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. That's one thing I know for sure. Uh, every now and again, even with the team at Wilsa, I ask them for a lot of things. Like, oh, so this, how does this go? Because you, you never know everything. Even if you're the head of the organization, it doesn't go by you. But con- consulting and working, you know, to achieve a common goal is always better than working on your own. Mm. Mm. And then for the men? Yeah, I think you said um, I should have some advice for the men. So it's funny because um, uh, for some time we're on radio with a radio personality that's a man and he challenges me about all these questions. That's how I came up with the topic. Um, For the men, don't be threatened. We're all Mm. human beings. We're here to live. We're here to make a better environment for your kids as well. They're not only our kids for your kids to live in and for our society to be better. So don't be threatened. Involve, include women in decision-making, include women in whatever you want to do. It's better as a joint effort than being the one person who's implementing anything in life, like absolutely anything. I mean, if it has to be a private matter, you pray to God you're including someone, (laughs) you know. Oh. Every time you you want solutions, it's better to come together and find a solution rather than working on your own because you'll be tired and you won't want to do it. And those thoughts of giving up if you don't have someone to pet you up, I think that's why it was um, it was designed that men and women will come together somehow. I'm not saying all mm-hmm. men and women, of course, because. In some instances, men can be single forever and women can be single forever, which is fine. But don't be threatened as men and include women in decisions that you're going to take. Mm, mm, Yeah. Sorry, like my mind went on a tangent. I was just thinking about um, somebody (laughs) posted on Facebook um, and they were talking about men's mental health. And, you know, how we also socialize men to, you know, not express their feelings and, you know, men behave in this way, you know, you have to be tough and rough and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And I was just thinking about that, you know, if you were open and and it it was also talking, basically the post was around, you know, the high suicide rates of men in particular, you know. And that's because everything is all bottled up. You are not, uh, men are not willing or able, haven't been taught to <laughs> share as you are expressing right now. And, you know, and, you know, if you, if, if you let a woman in to be that partner, I, I also believe that, you know, these, the suicide rates would also come down. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the whole issue of misogyny around this whole um, companionship thing is just, it's, it's not really, you know, macho men, I don't know where they exist. Um, <laughs> it's not, 
you know, like uh, I, I really feel that people should be able to express themselves. Uh, getting that psychological intervention is always good. Some form of counseling, some some form of outlet, even if it's a friend, a family member, it needs to happen. So th- that high expectation that has been put on men, relax, mm-hmm. put it like share share the responsibility with other people and women are out there doing things and Mm -hmm. i'm sure they are more than willing to take up some of the responsibility in any setting Mm -hmm. okay so do you have any books that you would recommend for our listeners and I always love um, to see what people are reading or maybe there's something you're listening to. Myself, I'm a podcast junkie. So <laughs> what, what type of resources are you, have you got your, your fingers in? Okay, so um, I think some of the, it's, it's always nice to be aware what is happening around the world. So I've read Half the Sky. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that is one book that actually exposes um, a lot of violations that happen against women around the world. Um, and it's basically true stories. And also the Lean In book by Sheryl Sandberg and on leadership and how women um, need, need their place in positions of power and how her experiences have been. You know, she was hitting Google and all of that stuff. So, yeah, being within the Lean In circle as well, I I'm actually in the Lean In network, oh, yeah. and I just yeah, I discovered that they actually have someone in the country. I haven't met her yet, who is actually coordinating a Lean In circle. I can't wait oh, to actually wow. be part of that. I didn't, you know so, what? Yeah. I didn't know a community. That's interesting. Yeah, they're a community. They send you newsletters oh. like every two weeks. And yeah. I read those newsletters. I'm not really so when I start a book, I'll I'll start a book and I will go halfway and mm-hmm. then I kinda get bored and then I'll wait for two months to and then I'll remember, oh I was on this chapter and <laughs> continue reading it. So you you find that with some books, even with homecoming. I read it like for such a long time and I finished it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, there was this part of the book that I really liked. So I decided to just reread it again. So yeah, uh, I'm that kind of a person. But the newsletters, subscribe mm. to a women's network and get newsletters about current events. And I wish I had um, more Swazi contextual books to read. I have Mm. been told about a few that I'm still searching for, like thoroughly searching for. They're not so easy to find. But yeah, be curious and read what you can, what you have access to, even podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, generally when you become more intentional about, you know, being curious, you find that you actually attract things um, where before, you know, you never used to see it, but suddenly you see it or, you know, you mention it in passing and somebody says, oh, I have that book or whatever it is. But I think when you're more intentional about um, looking for the resources, because I think generally as Africans, we're just lazy about it. We're just like, no, there are no resources. There are no authors. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
<laughs> but when you when you actually do the work and you actually not, I'm not even, I don't even want to call it work because already that will put someone off. When you actually become intentional about finding those yeah. authors, those resources, you find that there's so much out there. Yeah, there's so a much lot out there. Of information. Yeah, definitely. There, there is a lot out there. Mm. All right. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on and have this conversation. I learned a lot. All right. Thank you, Trulu, for having me um, on your on your podcast. And I, I I really I thoroughly enjoyed it as well. I learned a lot as well, and I'm thankful for everyone who tuned in. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. All righty. My key takeaway is when your gut tells you something is wrong, it's most likely right. Whatever your social standing does not exempt you. We are all susceptible to our rights being infringed upon. And it's okay to admit that you don't know much about a certain topic. Research it. Talk with your friends and colleagues about it and ask for help. My friend Muma often talks about how women are the gatekeepers of perpetuating violations against human rights. And that makes me so sad. For example, when a woman will tell another woman who is experiencing GBV that it is probably her fault that her man abuses her. Or when a woman will not report her husband for sexually defiling a child in their home. Or when a woman gaslights another woman when she is trying to tell her truth. Seriously, the spirit of gaslighting and gatekeeping must come to an end. Ask yourself, is your perceived security more important than her life? Please find Zanele on social media at Zola Budele. Tell her that you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast. And thank you, dear listener, for making us part of your day by listening in. I truly appreciate you. If you liked this episode, please do share it with a friend. And you can always find me on Instagram at Designs. Say hello. I always respond. Until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Olendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.olendocreative.com.